0: Comic who wants to take your comedy to the next level? Sometimes you need a little help, and that's where the Clean Comedy Challenge comes into play. This is Leslie Norris Townsend, and I'm the creator and producer of this challenging event. This year we have three different locations, each with a cash prize. Two of the three are full-blown three-day events with seminars, critiques, and performances in a real comedy club. Past attendees include Johnny W, Charlene May, Andy Medango, Marty Simpson, and Mike Paramar, all who are now full-time comedians. So, if you're ready to take advice from the pros and perform in a real comedy club, go to cleancomedychallenge.com. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And don't forget to mention Rick Roberts' School of Laughs, so I know where you came from. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by
1: SchoolOfLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker
0: who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show.
1: Welcome to the School of Last podcast. Rick Roberts here, and today on the show, I have Ken with two N's, Kington. Ken is from Atlanta and started off comedy after doing a job in the uh, Fortune 500 world where he did sales, and he took that same mindset over to his comedy and has approached it like a business ever since and is doing quite well. Uh, This is a good one to listen to with maybe a pen or a little piece of paper in hand or something where you can kind of take a few notes because he drops a few uh, gold nuggets on us in this episode for sure. We'll get to that in just a second. I did want to thank the Clean Comedy Challenge for sponsoring the podcast. If you want to, check out The Clean Comedy Challenge. Go to that cleancomedychallenge.com website and look at the multiple locations they have this year for you to learn a little bit about comedy and compete and maybe win some kind of prizes. Pretty cool, huh? Also, before we jump into the episode, I wanted to let you know about a couple of public shows I have coming up. Uh, March 2nd, I'll be in Holly Springs, North Carolina at the Holly Springs Cultural Center with Good friend Brian Bates opening the show. That's going to be a fun show. Uh, tickets are 15 bucks for grown-ups, $12 if you're really grown up and a senior, 60 and up, and $10 if you're a student or 21 and under. Also coming up soon is Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids. Hey, even if you don't catch my show, catch a show if you're anywhere in the area. That's a great, great uh, festival for a great cause, uh, Gilda's Club. But I'll be there on March 17th. That's a Saturday at 2 p.m., That's my afternoon matinee show at the Fountain Street Church on 24 Fountain Street Northeast in Grand Rapids. Uh, Tickets for that one, $22.50. But again, all the money from these shows, a good portion of the money of these shows, is going to a great cause. So if you're in the Grand Rapids area, I'd love to see you out 2 o'clock, March 17th, at the Fountain Street Church show. You can find out more about those tickets at LaughFestGR.org. And if you type in my name, it should pop right up. And then lastly, if you're in the Nashville area and you haven't stopped out to see me at the uh, Huckabee show, I am there again on March 23rd and 30th. Both of those are Fridays. Usually, uh, you want to be there by six o'clock. Show starts at seven, and I'm uh, I'm there at six doing some patrolling as Bernard Milton Five. And then around seven or f- seven fifteen or so, I hit the stage to some warm up. And about 15 minutes of stand-up. Tickets are free. That's the best part about it. And you come out and see that, again, on March 23rd or 30th. Tickets available at com forward slash event forward slash Huckabee. Or again, just check the show notes or visit my website, rickroberts.com. Check on the recent news tab, and it'll have all this information and links to the tickets right there. All right, that's enough self-promotion. I really, I do that more so I can meet you. So if you guys are in the area, stop out, give me an email, shoot me a message. Let me know you're going to be out there and we can hang a little bit. Those dates are coming up soon, right here in March. Okay, now let's get into it with Ken, with two N's, (music) Kington.
0: Well, I'm here at the home of Ken King Kington. What's going on, buddy? Uh, yeah, welcome to uh Mikasa, the uh, palatial international headquarters.
1: I knew I was <laughs> in a castle
0: when I walked in and saw <laughs> painted family
1: portraits painted on family the wall. Quarters. a we, fresh one uh, established today.
0: Yes, yes, it's Doc Day, our youngest son we adopted officially as of November last year and and uh, my wife's mother is an incredible artist, and uh, she did his picture, so he's on the wall. We we actually do own a camera, but uh, she paints them anyway. So. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> it is.
1: It's incredible. Did she start off like with the police doing chalk drawings and then start filling them in? And, like she's got like a cool style. Like it's there's honesty coming through each of those things, especially the eyes.
0: Yes, Those she's... eyes
1: follow you around the room.
0: And and literally, um, there's there's some more paintings. Everything we have in the house is from her. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, she's talented. That's amazing. Where did you meet your wife at? Let's see. I met Heather. uh, First time I ever saw her was on videotape. Uh, Surveillance?
1: (laughs) Yeah. They call it stalking back in the day.
0: (laughs) It was. (laughs) No, the first comedy bit I ever filmed, there were some guys from TBS that were moonlighting and they said, hey, we can can come film you if you want. So I, I begged every friend out of everywhere and she actually came with some friends and it was in this little building. Uh, it would seat about 130 people we had 180 people crammed into it, it they, they actually did the temperature on stage it was 113 degrees oh, on stage goodness. and i sweat through everything but they filmed it and taped it And we were at tbs doing the editing and they were doing crowd shots to drop in i'm like wait whoa, whoa, whoa go back to that <laughs> and there's this just adorable girl i'm like how did i not meet her i mean i thought i knew everybody there and uh, fast forward two months later, I'm uh, actually off the road on a weekend and went to church. And this beautiful girl walks in. I'm like, well, she wasn't here the last time I was at this church. And and I uh, got to meet her that day. And we ended up two different groups at the same restaurant at lunch as Providence would have it. And so uh, got to talking and she said yes to go out with me. We started dating. Three minutes after that, we're doing the final edit on the, the project. And I saw that clip again. I'm like... Could be my wife's sister. That could be my girlfriend at the time,
1: her sister. You didn't even know at that point that
0: she was was the girl in the video. No, she got her hair cut, totally different. Wow. And I, so you have a
1: type, is what you're saying.
0: I I do. So I I dubbed a copy, I took it over. We were going out to dinner that night, and I'm like, Do you have a cousin or a sister or something? She goes, No. And I put it in there. She goes, Oh, that's me. And I'm like, You didn't (laughs) tell me you were at that show. So, so we. Officially met on videotape before uh, before that was cool. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And
1: she even went out to you after she saw your actually,
0: show. After she saw my show. She actually told her friends, oh, he said he's from Woodstock. That's such a shame. She had just moved to Atlanta, no idea where Woodstock is. She goes, oh, he kind of, he's kind of cute. I wish he lived in Atlanta. And I'm like, turns out I did. So, that is hilarious. Yeah, that's how we met. And how long? How many years have you been married now? Uh,
1: 22 years. 22 years. 22. That
0: is something else. Yes, it's amazing. It's wonderful. And we're really close as far as age and 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 uh, situations. Well, I got married when I was around 30, and you got married later as well, right? 35, I think. Okay. Yeah. You
1: think, <laughs> Well, you I, yeah. Think? I don't yeah, yeah, remember. Yeah, because I'll be 50 in August, and we 15 years of marriage, so somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, thirty maybe I was thirty six. Whatever it is, it's uh, gone by fast. Yeah, <laughs> it hasn't it hasn't uh,
0: dragged on at all. It's amazing how fast time goes like that, you know. Absolutely, and my wife's five and a half year, years younger than I am, mm-hmm. and uh, she looks even younger than that, and I look even older than the fifty I am. So, I've actually had a couple, pe- <laughs> couple people at shows that are like, "Wow, your wife's really young!" Like, I'm like, "I know, thanks. She's she's younger than no, I mean like really young," <laughs> and I'm. And I, it's almost like they're insinuating, You're is this your wrong. second wife, your third wife, or whatever? And I just say, yeah, I married my trophy wife first. I just wanted to skip all the other crap and yeah. the divorces, so I married my trophy wife first. That's and, great. Oh, well, you mentioned uh, our, our youngest son. We just adopted. He's 12. Mm-hmm. Before that, we did a, a little bit of fostering. And uh, one of the first ones we fostered a little three-year-old. And uh, I thought it was so cute because, bless her heart, she'd been through just the ringer of foster care. And she's three, and she just really grabbed on to us. And she she would say, "Uh, Mom, Mom, I want to see Mom. And she would call Heather Mom after a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And one time, uh, one of the kids said, hey, let's go here. And she goes, no, I want to go with Grandpa. (laughs) so, So there's Mom and Grandpa. And I'm like no uh, uh okay if that makes you happy yeah so, that's funny yeah so i i've had the same experience in a different different situation that is funny yeah
1: i never thought about my own kids calling me grandpa but, <laughs> hey,
0: foster kid calling me grandpa i could hurt <laughs>
1: but it's sweet well that's we are also similar to the fact that uh your wife saw you doing comedy before you even dated so she saw you doing that and that you said you've been married for twenty, twenty two
0: 22 years, 22 now. years. Yeah, so, so you, will be 23. How long
1: had you been doing comedy at that point? You must've been doing it for a little while if you were doing like an hour taping or something.
0: Yeah. I taped an hour show and I'm not sure I had a full hour of great material at that point. Uh, I mean, and now I've, I mean, now it's picking and choosing and You probably have the same experience where I've got probably four hours, four and a half hours worth of material. Mm-hmm. So I just pick and choose, but, uh, no, I had, uh, really I was in transition, And when I say transition, especially if it's a newer comic, listen, I would say that that overnight success, uh, usually takes even the initial stages of overnight success usually takes about three or four years Mm -hmm. and that's about as quick as overnight as you're going to get. Um, but I, I was very successful in the corporate world, uh, left the corporate world, worked full time and was doing it kind of on the side part time. And then after about a year was working full time and doing comedy full time. So two full-time jobs. And I think at that point I was where I was working part-time and doing comedy full time. And, uh, and then it transitioned where I was just doing comedy by itself. But uh, that took about almost three years, two years and eight months to make that full transition. But that was and the funny part, Rick, is I remember I remember this like yesterday. I'd gone from a very successful corporate sales, fortune 500 growth company, uh, expense account, uh, a a full-time administrator just worked for me and sales. And, and I left that and I'd paid all my debts off and I was going to give this thing a shot. And I was into it where I worked every menial job you could work just to pay bills. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I remember thinking, Lord, I really, I really have this desire. I want to meet somebody. I want to get married but I got nothing right now. I mean, I've got nothing. I've I, I got a career. That's not even a career. I don't have any money. I don't have, any, I've got nothing. Don't let me meet anybody right now. And of course that's when I met my wife yeah. and she literally knew me when I had nothing. Right. And still liked me, saw the potential and was blown away that, wow, somebody can like me just for me. So whatever yeah. she wants, she gets. Yeah. Now that I've gotten to the point, uh, we got married, had, uh, Graham about two and a half years in, and we're like stay at home. So she was at home for about ten years, and mm-hmm. then she decided, I think I want to teach again. She goes, I don't have to, but I want to. I'm like, do it. Yeah. But pretty much whatever she wants because she <laughs> she she married the uh, what what is it? You got to kiss the frog to get the prince. Yeah. I was definitely the frog. Yeah. And while physically I'm still a frog. Um, at least uh, stable and growing and I'm yeah. very thankful. Yeah, I
1: always uh, I used to use the term happily married, but like the past two years of my act, it just started coming out. I'm luckily married. <laughs> and I like this because I'm like, how many other guys are luckily married? And, you know, I'm looking at a lot of you guys. A lot of you guys are lucky. I don't care if you're happy or not. You're lucky you even got somebody. But it's one of yeah. those deals where, yeah, like I, I was kind of ready to get married, but I wasn't in no hurry. Right. You know, and then it turned out to work out just, just re- great for us, you know. That's cool. So where did you, so you were doing your sales things. Were you hitting like the punchline and places like that doing open mics or where were you getting your feet wet?
0: No, I, I really kind of got into it backwards. Um, and I did end up doing the punchline. I ended up doing a lot of local pieces for a few months just to see what it was like. Maybe that's the route, but, um, I was doing a lot of speaking, get invited to speak places both corporately and, uh, privately and they say, hey, can you come speak at this dinner? Can you come do this? I'm like, yeah. And then they literally they said, hey, um, this is just really a lighthearted dinner. Just do the funny parts. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So it never dawned on me that the stories and the issues and the, the pieces that I had didn't have to have a point. Mm-hmm. It could just be funny. And I'm like, okay. And so that's really kind of how I backed into comedy. And once I got there, I really did love it. And I love that idea. So I did. I did a couple open mic pieces and uh, that and... I learned really quickly. Um, if if it's just a club thing, I'm not going to make a living at that. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not a healthy environment. And if I want to do this long term, that's not where it's going to come from. I mean, I just asked, you know, how much, how much does a feature make? Oh yeah, they can make like eight, $900 for a weekend. And I'm like, okay, do the math, carry the two that asked. And you got to pay for your own travel and you get, all, travel, the and you and get like, all the expense. I'm know. like, Yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to be it. So that was my introduction into great for maybe developing material. Um, I've advised a lot of young comics. It's okay. But basically open mics are just disgruntled comedians that want to tell you, they want to drag everybody else down because that, but I tell people find a consistent gig, Mm. make one, create your your Mm. own gig and do something regularly, whether that's monthly, every two weeks where you're forced to get up in front of people and, and just do something. Even if it's, man, I'm going to do announcements somewhere have fun with it right? and be the guy who's fun with announcements and whatever it is, but just be on stage and be making, making a, a an attempt at developing. Yeah. I'm pretty sure Johnny W is what
1: he started off doing, just really? doing funny announcements for his church and
0: absolutely worked
1: into some funny videos thing. They do a, a incredible like year interview video thing at his church. And and he, you know, he was doing some open mics, some things on the side and kind of got rolling with it. Um, I know you started, you did some, produce some shows, like church shows. What did you used to call those things? Oh, Ultimate Comedy Theater. Ultimate Comedy yeah. Theater. So how many years in was that?
0: We did about eight years of those. But that was, that was, oh gosh, that was probably 10 years in. And I just really had a heart. I'm like, you know what? I, a lot of churches would do events that I would call bait and switch. You know, come to this event, and then they would just—I mean—they would make everybody feel uncomfortable. I'm like, that's that's just wrong. Right. And I thought, I want to introduce people to the reality of what that can be. So what would I do? And I thought, you know what? I I'd bring a couple other A-list people in—not an opener and a middle and a and an A-list, but three A-list, and we would just blow it out. And I just really got the concept, and I talked to some churches that trusted me, and I said, you know what? we want to bring your friends that's the purpose and it's it's not to harvest it's not to bang them over the head it's just to let them have a positive experience and the reason people don't invite their friends is because they don't trust you
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and let me come speak one Sunday they'll trust me and then we'll do this well we're we're selling these things out all over the country literally I think the biggest ones were probably in Maryland and Houston where we'd have you know, three to four thousand people at these shows and it's like wow and about 30 to 50% of the audience was unchurched. They uh-huh. were just there because they loved comedy. And it was just, it was awesome. Who it, were it was, some of you know,
1: the comics on those first, or any um, of those back in the day?
0: Gosh, the first ones were uh, Mike Williams, Paul Aldrich, um, Rich Prater came out with us. Anita Renfro did a few. Um, probably one of my favorites, uh, Bob Smiley did, mm-hmm. did some. Probably one of my favorites, we, we actually filmed. Paul and Mike and I filmed in Houston. And it was going to be the, the second big filming I ever had ever done. And I had a guy call and he said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm from Dallas. Can we come down? And we'd just like to meet you. And I'm like, yeah, come on down. And uh, he said, my brother's going to come with me. I think I'm funny. I'd really like to do some comedy. And I'm like, okay. So we met with him before and met his brother and said, hey, why don't you come to the show? And I said, you know what? Tell me what you're doing. He said, well, I've done like five shows. And I think two of them paid me something but I really think I'm funny. I've been trying to do it for a couple of years. I just can't figure out how to get started. And so that night in, in front of over 3000 people, I said, why don't you do the introductions? Why don't you just jump up and do the introductions?" He's like, Oh, that'd be great. So, I mean, literally, so the first voice that you hear on the table, ladies and gentlemen, please invite, welcome Ken Kington, you know, and welcome. And he did the welcomes. So I, I told him, Hey, won't you send me some stuff? Here's the steps. Number one, get something on video. This is way pre YouTube. Mm -hmm. I said, seeing is believing people are going to believe. get something on video and then send it to me and then uh, make these contacts. I gave him an ABC and they did. And uh, he sent me a video. It was horrible. The, the quality was horrible. Uh It was in the back of a room. It was a videotape. The sound was terrible. And even with both of those in the terrible room, he's one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my life. And I literally I said, you know what? I'm doing these tours. Uh why don't you come and just do a 15, 20 minute set? And after the first one, I'm like, dude, you really can't open. Yeah. <laughs> Cause you are way too funny. And I said, yeah, why don't we do this? We're gonna have this guy open, do 25. I'll do the 35, 40 minute set. And you close with 20, 25, because you're a closer. Okay. And we did that for about a year and a half. And uh he went from four or five gigs to doing everything that we shared. Hey, take these steps. And within a year and a half, he's doing it full time. And I, a lot of comics know who he is and a lot of don't, but Tim Hawkins right. yeah. has exploded. And he's very gracious. He's like, this is the guy who helped me get started. And yes and no. All I did was kind of point him in the trajectory.
1: Well, that was a huge. He
0: thing. was ready to take off.
1: Yeah. But that, I mean, how many other comics in the comic world, yeah. would have said, "I don't get on my show. You, well, yeah, you absolutely. You know, don't even, don't, even, don't, even, <laughs> don't even be in the room.
0: <laughs> oh, I'll tell you this. Uh, I'll tell you one of the funniest memories that really speaks to that was uh, we're doing a show in San Antonio at uh, Max Licato's church, and Tim, <laughs> Tim did this one bit about being at Walmart, and he says, there's this guy, he's got a box of shotgun shells, he's got... Uh, rainbow suspenders and, and knee-high socks and shorts and and a, and a case of beer and uh, and he said he says something to him and it's it's just a great punish, punch punchline he says hey why don't you just calm down Pastor Vucato M- 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 and, and yeah. everybody just dies laughing it's Max churches and after I mean he killed it yeah. I mean he just killed it that night he did the closing set and all that and I remember walking out and it was one of the first nights that Heather, his wife, had come to see him on the tour. I think it was the first time she'd ever seen it. And she made that comment. She goes, Well, there that goes. They'll never have you back because you're <laughs> the funniest person here. And it just struck me, like you said, that didn't dawn on me. Yeah.
1: You just wanted a great show.
0: I wanted a great show and I wanted to help somebody out. That's really my heart. And even my own wife. She, Cause I I we still get together three or four times a year. And I'm on his tour now on his mm-hmm. bus. And I'm doing a 20 minute set, you know, and it's just fun for me. It's a great writing environment, but she's like, does it bother you? I mean, he's selling out shows every weekend and I'm like, why why would that bother me? I got to, I got to help with it. I got to be a part of that. She's like, yeah, but you know, this and this, I'm like, I I just don't think that way. That's just not, not who I am. And uh, we'll we'll talk about it at the end, but I'm about to launch the next version of that this year, which is going to be really, really fun as well. That's Because cool. it's kind of back in my blood going, I really love having people love bringing their friends yeah. and having a positive experience. So we're going to do that later. Isn't that that was a long answer to a short question. No, but
1: I, I think that's cool that you help somebody out because there are a lot of bitter comics. In fact, there somebody a long time ago said, you know what I call it? Called? You know, a her, a, there's a herd of cattle and there's a flock of geese. You know what you call a bunch of comics together? It's a bitter. It's a bitter. <laughs> it's a bitter. Yeah, that came out on the Bob and Tom show a long time ago. But I'm like, that's the way a bunch of comics, when you get them around, they they very rarely spend the time on the good stuff. It automatically goes to who they don't like and why they're, you know, the jealousy comes right on out. But a bitter, a bitter of comics. And it's fun, too. I mean, you want it. Like, you want the show to be good, but it's also great to be around people who are, are funnier than you. Like, if you only – Put together a show where you're the funniest person, then it's gonna begin and end with you, really, you know. And then the off stuff, you come up with ideas. The neurons are firing on the bus, oh, I'm yeah. sure, with you guys, and it's just a fun environment to be in. And you kind of always are. You know, comics have a little bit of competitiveness that's that's healthy, where they're one-upsmanship type things off stage, and you know, you know what? <laughs> then you do this, and oh yeah, <laughs> oh man! And the best thing ever sometimes isn't writing your own joke, but it's giving somebody that tagline that just blows the roof off the joke. You know?
0: Absolutely. Well, I, I, I did this on purpose. I was actually ready to film, uh, Wow Moments, which is, I, I, <laughs> I it won a uh, Golden Crown Award, which is I didn't even know it was up for it, uh, but it won it. And Tim had won it two years before, but I was, I purposefully went out on tour with him two times in a row because I wanted to work out bits for that project. And I said, dude, would you do me a favor this one bit? It's really good. I just, it feels like it's missing a little mm-hmm. piece. And sure enough, I mean, at the end he goes, yeah, you're kind of in this Shakespearean thing. And you said, yeah, yeah she said this, but it sounds, it just feels like she should have hearkened or beckoned. And I'm like, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That one word, it was already funny, but it just makes the difference. Right. And it's those little pieces. You're right that it. it's a synergy around some of the quality guys like you. I, I, we did a show once. I'm, I'm listening to your set and I'm dying laughing. And if you were to come up with me after and goes, oh, I heard that. But have you thought about this and this? And I guarantee you, I tried it the next time and all of it's a it becomes mm. part of it. Yeah. That's the, that's the great part. That's so true. few comics do that though. You're that right. That is
1: true. And that's the part I miss doing a lot of corporate and single events where I'm the only guy. Right. You know, I'm doing anything behind the microphones. So like I, I get done. I'm like, man, I wish somebody told me a tagline or something here. <laughs> I, like, I want to talk, you know, we always call civilians, you know, people don't do comedy <laughs> civilians, but I got to go talk to civilians and they're going to tell me the lamest joke ever. And, that you know, you got to use this grade. one right here. Uh, the cop was coming up behind me and I pulled over and I sped up. And he's like, why'd you speed up? And like, my wife ran off with a cop. I thought she was bringing her back. And <laughs> I've heard that joke a thousand <laughs> times.
0: <laughs> Almost
1: every show, some guy, because they do the five thing, they're like, I got a great. <laughs> I got a great joke for you. I'm like, Oh, come on. No, not you that, that one. Not that one. And then you got to look and smile. I go, yeah, I go, that's a pretty good one. I go, oh, <laughs> now I go, that's timeless. <laughs> 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 Just to let him know that it's
0: been around for a while. That is timeless. That's that. timeless. That's, that's going to be joke. around. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. Well, you're doing, you're doing corporate stuff as well. I mean, how did you get into, how did you get into or decide I've got to diversify?
1: Well, for me, you know I, I started off in the comedy clubs the open mics I mean very traditional I think for me I realized uh, clean had other opportunities when I, really the, the year that it really dawned on me was probably 2001 or two had moved to Nashville in 99 and I was working the star in, Bar- in Birmingham yeah, and I've they heard say of it. Can, they say can you do all of December can you feature for us all of December not headline but feature and we'll, and we'll have you for New Year's Eve too I'm like, well, sure, I'll park it down here. You know, I'll come back home on Monday and restock and come back down, you know, yeah. do laundry, come back down to Birmingham. And then, but what I realized was they were selling all their corporate Christmas party packs because I would yes. do some afternoon things too. That was part of the deal. You know, give an extra 300 bucks here, an extra 500 bucks here from the afternoon. We'll have you do that. And the headliner wasn't doing it. He wasn't particularly you know, into that, but I'm like, give me all that you want. And then after that year, I'm like, next year, I'm just going to take December off of the clubs and see if I can just book. My own corporate events. Right. And that next year I had 22 corporate events in December. In December. And then I said, you know what? Uh, maybe I will leave one week a month open for corporate events. If it's open, maybe I'll get something. If not, I don't need to be out that much. I'm married now. Gotcha. And then I would start getting corporate events. I'm like, okay, I'm going to take two weeks off and see if I can. Because, you know, one corporate event was better than the whole month at a club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, slower learner than you were. <laughs> <laughs> but but at the same time I, I had fun in the clubs to you know to a degree, but when I started seeing that I didn't have to be gone as much
0: and that's the key And that when was you the have key. a family and then,
1: and then yeah once I got married I'm like uh, now we have a house I need to make sure this house gets paid off and makes right. payments on time so but then I I really just did it week by week I said okay I'm gonna leave three weeks open do one club a month and then. Maybe after four years, I'm like, I I don't think I'll do any clubs besides, you know, Lexington, Kentucky, where I grew up. Right. Nashville, if they call me and they need somebody, maybe Chattanooga or something. Just want someone to kind of tighten up the material. Right. Because it can get a little flat. Corporate events, they don't care if you're worried. They have nothing to compare it to. So I, I do try to keep my comedy honest that way. You know, if it's funny enough for a club, then I know I'm good. But if it's only funny in the corporate arena, I probably need to get it a little bit funnier.
0: Good, Good move. Now, the funny part to me is my wife um, she will look at her calendar and she did after we had kids and they, once they started going to school, she's like, I think I'm going to start teaching again. So she did. And she's like, yeah, you can only go to target so many times before it gets boring. And <laughs> right, I'm like, right. all right. But the funny part to me is she will look at my calendar and she'll pick out cause a lot of corporate events, they go to resorts mm-hmm. and they go to really nice places. So she, she'll go, what's this one you're doing in Cabo? I want to go on that <laughs> right. one. And uh, the Ritz Carlton at Amelia Island, are you going there this year? I'm like, yeah, a couple of times. Oh, I'm going on both of those. Yeah. And it's actually great for us now because we've got grandparents close by. They take the kids to school. She goes with me and she literally gets the break she needs. Sleep in the
1: Ritz. Do the spa treatment. Do the
0: spa. and And it's a corporate gig. It literally pays more than two, three weeks at a club yeah. and it's one week. And a lot of times they'll just say, like, "Hey, yeah, bring your spouse. And you know what? We got a block of rooms for an extra day or two. Why don't you just take one?" And we're like, "Okay, we'll do that." Yeah. So it's a great getaway. Yeah. No, let me ask you this, just yeah, because I don't
1: know the answer for myself necessarily. Maybe I'll think of my answer while we're talking. But <laughs> but you know, a lot of comics uh, look at doing corporate events as selling out or it's soulless or whatever. I found the reward being that I could do the material that I wanted to do. And it worked there, and I wasn't changing bits and taking things out to make it generic and dumbing it down or whatever to make it sanit- overly sanitized. It was what I already did. So when I left the clubs, I didn't feel like I missed anything as far as the last. Right. You know, when you you've always been kind of in the clean environment. When you started doing the, the corporate events, um, did you have any kind of like re, not regrets, but like because you, you did speaking before, so you were you were comfortable right. in front of them with your.
0: Your, With the speaking, yeah. And was
1: it like sales speeches and stuff before? Or what kind of? Uh,
0: no, it, yeah, it was sales presentations. Okay. Uh, I was in front of, and it was big dollar stuff. Uh, you're selling something. Right. So and I just found doing, that using humor to connect and, and uh, anytime you can connect is big. Uh,
1: did you miss out on having, like, I guess coming from that angle, did you miss out on having the content when they said just do the funny stuff? Did it? Or did that not bother you? No,
0: not at all. Because I would say even now, uh, we were just talking, I think before we came on air, I I did, I think, 30 corporate deals last year. And I would say probably half of them were, we just, we want to have you come in after dinner. Just be funny. Here's our theme for the year. If you can work it in, great. Mm. And it's 95% just comedy. Which in a blended, uh, whether it's spouses or uh, it's vendors or somebody you're you're selling to customers. Mm-hmm. They don't want them offended. They don't want them going, Oh great. We got to sit through this. So it appeals there. But on the other side I did, I spent uh, gosh, the first six years out of college in marketing sales and was in the top 10 in sales for a fortune 500 company. So there's a little bit of, wow, he's got some cred there, but I really, I really just say, Hey, comedy's gotten me around some most successful people in the world, whether it's sports Or government, or corporate, or whatever. I've been around these people, and I spend time with them, and I just have asked a couple questions. Hey, tell me your story. And these CEOs and presidents and head coaches and Super Bowl coaches and national championship coaches. I mean, I'm not just meeting them. I'm having dinner with them, and I'm like, okay, so what? What do you do? Right. And they tell me. They tell me how they got there, and I started noticing. And this is this is the main corporate talk I do. I started noticing it's not talent. It's not opportunity. It's not, um, ability. It's really decisions that these guys make. And there's always a story they tell, but it was a decision they made. And I found it fell in one of four categories. So I'm like, okay. And, and so I just call it the four critical decisions that successful people make. And I use their stories and I use a lot of humor and Mm -hmm. comedy that fits right with it. So it's a blend of all that. So I think one of the most important parts that I had to get over a few years ago is one, I'm me and there's comics that will just be like, Oh, that's not real comedy. And I'm like, I don't don't care right?" because it's who I am. And yes, I can share a principle point or whatever and use comedy with it and do that and blend it together. And it doesn't sound like a canned speech Mm -hmm. and it doesn't sound like a set comedy bit because it's not, it's who I am. And I think that's the real key is to be genuine to who you are. And that's, that's what I am. And the, the wow moments comedy project I did, I lost all the need to try to be the funniest comedy set ever. I lost the need to have the greatest point at the end of it. I I lost all of that. I'm like, this is just me. Love it or leave it. This is who I am, the way I am. If you want to bash it or whatever, I, I don't care. It's me. And until you get to that point, of, yeah, I'm going to meet the need they asked me to meet, or I'm not going to take the gig, but I'm going to do it in a way that's just me. Yeah. That's that confidence that you can have because nobody else is you. Right. And that's, that's where I want to live in that, that sweet spot. Yeah, that is a sweet, that's kind of where I finally got there the
1: past three or four years with some of my speeches and that different programs that I offered, I was trying to figure out, what what do I like to do that's beneficial for other people? And so my favorite thing I do now is more of an improv-based uh, workshop. Where I, it's called Listen Up, Laugh It Up. So I'm funny for a while, show them that it's important to relax and have fun. But then how we all connected while we were laughing is what's important about it. And then I get them up and do some you know, workshopy type things with them. And they, they have some, some very small goals that they have to accomplish in these different little improv games. And when they get it, they go crazy.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's so
1: rewarding for me. Like, I'd rather do that and facilitate for 30 minutes and try to slam them over the head with the next punchline. Right. Cause the result is even bigger than just cause the laughter is it's, it is pretty, I mean, I wouldn't compare it strictly to fast food, but it's, it's quickly digested. And then you leave a little while later and you're back to where you were, you know, but when you leave them with the point that's important to not only them, but to you, that's, that's like you say, it's a double win.
0: Yeah. But see, that's something that you can do because your improv background and that you can communicate to them and integrate it into them. And that that's kinda like the the four critical decisions. I just say, hey, don't don't even take notes. There's four words. You're gonna remember all four. Mm-hmm. And wow, they walk away and I love talking to them afterwards. They tell me their stories and it, it becomes meaningful at that yeah. point. And some of those
1: stories become part of your program because it's Absolutely. like well, you just summed up what I was trying to say in a whole different way that's perfect for this type of group or what have you. You were talking about decisions. This is funny because today I was thinking about momentum. I was, I'm a big Kentucky Wildcat fan. So, <laughs>
0: Do they have a basketball team this well, year?
1: Well, <laughs> it's debatable. They have six freshmen and two sophomores at start. and well, That's play, an play all
0: old team for them, isn't it? Two sophomores. is crazy.
1: <laughs> and last night they got down by 17 with 17 minutes left to go at West Virginia, who's number seven and we're not ranked this year right now. They came back and beat them by like seven or eight points,
0: uh-huh.
1: and it's all momentum. And so, like, it was weird. Like, I listened to that on the way home from a gig last night, and I was just thinking, what, what is momentum? What causes momentum? And it's momentum is caused by decisions. Either positive momentum, positive momentum is caused by a decision, or negative. You look at the Super Bowl last year. How much <laughs> momentum? I, I know we're in Atlanta, and I'm not naming any. Painful, names or,
0: painful momentum.
1: But you know, there was so much momentum in the first half. Yeah. That, you know, Atlanta was just blowing New England off the off field. Off the field. But they weren't taking any time off the clock when, they, you know, in the second half, they try to keep that pace when they should have maybe slowed it down, maybe ran the ball five, what? ten times a quarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all yeah. of a sudden it's three and out, and here comes New England again. Three and out, here comes New England again. Yeah. But it's all decisions by Shanahan, who was the coordinator at the time, right? Yeah. Kyle. He's,
0: he's out of now. He made Atlanta.
1: great decisions early. And stuck with the same decisions without thinking about the impact, and, and you can do all adjustment. that in retrospect. At the time, you're like, "Let's just keep going and shove it down their throats because they're New England and we hate them." But it, you you lose sight with momentum sometimes too. Mm. If things are going so fast a certain way, you're like, "Let's keep keep running this." You have to get ahead of it, like when you with your business. Like well, I think you do because even a couple of years ago, we we talked um, you start talking about doing these wow moments and these videos right? for YouTube and things. You and I both kind of analyze every year like what's what's working and what's not. <laughs> right. But you had gotten ahead of it a little bit. Like you know, it's been a pretty good year, and I, I just want to see what's going to happen next. And we were talking about do people put videos on on LinkedIn. I'm yeah. like, well, they're they're just now starting to. Right. Uh, if I remember, I I think I sent you a link to like the process and everything right. to get it up in there because I was kind of interested in it too. So it's important to jump ahead a little bit, not live there, but look at the possibilities of not knowing where you're going you know what i mean sure so i mean you've got this good momentum going on right now you did quite a few corporate gigs 30 or so last year
0: yeah which was which was double what i did the year before which lays an incredible foundation and yeah but it was it was like one of the big ones that we look at is uh conversion rate if if we get a call or an inquiry now because they come through the website if we get an inquiry how many of those translate to an actual gig Mm -hmm and we saw in the corporate market it was it was 50% 40% i'm like okay you know we should be at 80 90% of conversion that they're calling initially and the number one reason was we, we don't get it we know you're funny but what do you do corporately so we figured we got to have something that they can look at right because seeing is believing so that's where i invested about 1000 bucks recorded a bunch of these had them edited and just had them available on kenworks.com and on facebook kenworks on Facebook Is it and Is it yeah, KENN works. And then, uh, on LinkedIn, just my personal one, I put it there and every week they do the analytics say say, who's looking at it. And it was just that, okay, there's, there's a demand, there's a need. How do I fully capture the demand that's there? Right. And, and that was it. And I, I really haven't taken full advantage. We haven't really, uh, capitalized on all that LinkedIn has. I just wanted to capture what was already coming in mm-hmm. and that's what started to happen. And it, it was, it was those, it was those clips, but it, it, what you just said is one of those critical decisions. Actually, I noticed that these successful people, they're, they're thinking ahead right. They're and the word is anticipating. It's looking at, okay, where's the demand? What is the need? And what is the felt need out there? What are people really looking at? And it's like, am I anticipating? And the successful coaches there, I, I talked to, uh, Les Steckel who, was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee when they went to the Super Bowl and and these, and we were just talking over dinner one night. And he said, yeah, uh, I, after I've retired, I found I'm a fantastic coach on the couch yeah <laughs> because there's no pressure. And I can second guess everybody and be right every time. He said, but can you understand, as soon as they blow the whistle, I've got 15 seconds to evaluate their personnel, our personnel, what the down and distance is, what is the game situation, all that. And then I've got to put a in of play that's going to succeed. And he said, as soon as I send that play in, I'm already thinking about three plays later. Right. Cause I'm thinking about the options. If we're here, 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 here. He said, I've got to constantly be anticipating. And I'm like, dang. Yeah. And he really was one of the most successful coordinators. It was a couple Super Bowls, and it's just that ability to anticipate. And in our world it's where's the felt need, where's the demand right now? And am I anticipating? And you and I talked about it. What What did I do last year? And what areas are growing? What are decreasing? And okay, what do I need to do to capitalize and capture what's coming in? Yeah. And what's the next wave?
1: And you know, it's interesting too, is the, all those same skill sets are used during a show as yes. telling a joke and setting up where the next thing is going to go. And is it interesting? Like, this happens to me occasionally, I, I will do. A joke that I really should be doing later in the show because it's more of a fireworks kind of thing. And sometimes I'll be all of a sudden, I'm just starting to set it up. It's like minute seven. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, the next, it's going to make the next bit not as strong because this is the closure. Why am I doing my closure seven minutes in? You know? <laughs> But you have to ratchet through. You've got while you're doing that, you have to think, okay, how am I going to come out of this, and then and keep the momentum going in a good way. And then now, what is my closer going to be? Because I just did it.
0: Right. Seven minutes into my show, for some reason, you know. (laughs) Have you ever done a bit that has a callback, and you forgot to do the bit that you're going to call back? Oh yeah. (laughs) Well,
1: when I was doing those comedy clubs, three shows Saturday. Oh gosh. The third show, a you're just like. You're really grasping at straws because they are so out of it, and you are tired. And it was back. I mean, I was doing clubs when you could still smoke. So oh, three word. shows Saturday, you've inhaled all that nicotine, and you're like, you're just you're just trying to finish up, and you don't know if you set up this joke in this show or, or the one first one show or, this or the second. second. So there were times when I would I would say something and I would get no reaction, and I'd just look at the crowd like. I've done that already, haven't I? <laughs> They're like, yeah.
0: <laughs> you did that one already. <laughs> oh, it doesn't happen man. as
1: often now, 'cause I, you know I'm doing one hour straight through, usually by myself, and only one time at night. But yeah, back in those days, it was like, you know, then that's when I—that's actually when I first started putting a set that was consist—a consistent order of jokes, so that I wouldn't do that. Right. Because even when you're featuring, you're just pulling. Okay, this is working. I've got an hour to pull from. Boom, boom, boom. But when you're headlining, you like. I needed to remember where where it went. And also, jokes do work in a certain order best, most often. You yeah. Know? But it, it is weird. That all those same sets, like you're, if you're an offensive coordinator, you're running the ball so you can set up the pass, the play option, all those different things. Right. Business is the same way. When, when, so you're already thinking ahead for this year, you're talking about setting up the, the next kind of tour of comedians right. type thing. Where did that analysis come from? Was it just more of a, I like being around that group, or did you find a need that you thought needed? To be served by that?
0: Oh, absolutely. It was was finding the need. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really came through um, inquiries. We've been getting more and more inquiries for date nights. You know, do you do date night? I do this incredible ultimate date night thing that we've done. But I realized that most of the people doing date nights now are doing, okay, let's have a comedian open it. And then we'll have some psychologist, speaker, whatever, who's going to share some content. Okay, let's get knee-to-knee and tell each other how we suck and why we hate <laughs> right. each other. And and it's kind of the bait-and-switch thing again of, oh, we're going to come, Yeah, come on. It's going to be day-night. It's going to be so great. And then by the time you're done, you're just like... You get oh, homework. I, I'm supposed to tell I, you what every night? <laughs> yeah. And it just left me with the what. So, I mean, I, I really had kind of the vision where in the final stages, we're about to print the... The big picture is the same model I use with the comedy theater, mm-hmm. where I come in to the host and I I do a teach a speaker whatever and cast a vision. Here's what this night's going to be. It's going to be the funniest and funniest night for you and your wife since your honeymoon. Period. And at the end of the night, we're going to do something really really fun. You're going to go home <laughs> yeah. and that's it. Yeah, that, that's up to you from that point. And it's really about when how often do You and your wife get to just go out and laugh together all right without being embarrassed, without whatever. And then you can go with another couple and just we're gonna go laugh our butts off tonight, awesome! And there's couples that I, I know all the time like, Yeah, we want we to go into the comedy club thinking about we want to go laugh, but oh man, it was just so raunchy, so crude. But there's one guy is okay, but we just want to laugh together, and there's so little opportunity. And on the other end, they're like, Oh, yeah, we went to this one, we heard this great comic, and And it was a marriage enrichment thing and we got our marriage enriched and, you know, they just felt exhausted by the end of the weekend from emotion. So my, my idea and what we're going to do is, okay, I'm going to have that night, that event. And I talked to a buddy of mine in marketing and he's flipping brilliant. I said, I want a night that when guys hear it, they're like, I want to go to that. And it's, so it's mm -hmm. duct tape date night. I love it. That's it. I was thinking... Bacon. What's he gonna say? Bacon. That's what. That was his other option. <laughs> yeah. He said, "You're either gonna be duct tape or bacon," <laughs> and I'm like, "That's awesome. Duct tape date night. That's the f- great. The, just a night of comedy for couples." And uh, there's a there's a lady in Atlanta here. Uh, actually, I knew her. She's a singer, um, sweet lady. And I did not know it till my uh, manager, who's been with me for 22 years, she said, "Have you read Jordan's blogs?" And I'm like, "I haven't." She goes, "Read them," and they're hysterical. And I know she's great on stage as a singer and, and she's a hysterical blogger. And I'm like, I don't need you to be hysterical. I just need you to be you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, John Branion is going to come in. I've seen him do some date stuff. It's just ridiculous. Uh, Jordan, uh, Baker Watts is going to do a, a small set. I'm going to do a set and then we're going to do a thing together at the end. And, uh, it's, it's coming together. Incredible. Then the bonus part is to just tell them, hey, if you want to go a little bit deeper, I do these comedy content clips. They're like five, six minutes, and there's a guide you can do in a small group where there's some questions you can ask with your couples and friends. Mm -hmm. They're available in the back. And that goes into print next week, and we'll have those. It's the duct tape DIY groups. That's great. And uh, it's just the one, two, three. There's plenty of places you can get away for a weekend and and work out your issues, but this is just... (laughs) Laugh, be together, get a couple tips in the small group that instantly work, that you're never going to be overwhelmed and you're never going to have to go, okay, what am I going to have to say this week or whatever? It's just, man, do go laugh together. Yeah. Do that. That's awesome. I, I would pay money for that. And uh, so that's that's really where we're at. And we're going to have, I think it's March, April, we're going to do the the initial launch on it. Um, there's some current potential hosts lined up in Colorado and some other places, but we're now kind of talking with hosts going, if you've ever wanted to do a date night and most churches now, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I want to have the thing if you want to have the thing. And we're doing it the same model where I do a ticketed event to where they're not having to scrape together a budget for it right. and all that. That's pretty so, cool. Yeah. Duct tape date night. When you hear about it, uh, we're, I think this week we're launching the the Facebook page and and we'll figure it out.
1: You have to let me know when you get some dates on there. I'll, I'll mention it on the podcast too. Yeah. So people listening now can hear it later on and, Absolutely. and go check it out. Let I'll sponsor the podcast. Hey, I'll put you up front <laughs> once the Clean Comedy Challenge is over. <laughs> we got three more months of oh, the Clean Comedy awesome. Challenge. But yeah, no, I would definitely mention them anyway just to let people know. Because people will be interested where they can see and hear you and find out more about you. I feel like I could talk to you for like another hour absolutely but uh <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're a great host i love just catching up with you
1: well there's there's a million things i'd like to ask you but um for this episode's okay uh, uh finish out i would like you to maybe think back to you know when you first started comedy you mentioned it's kind of a three or four year ramp up to kind of get mm. things going you know knowing what you know now and knowing what you could have listened to and applied back then had you known it that would have actually you know been fruitful you know any tips for people that are thinking about getting in comedy or they're just not happy with where they're at right now, trying mm. to find a, a different avenue perhaps with their shows?
0: Mm. Good call. Uh, let me go to the spectrum. If if I was just starting out, one of the pieces I get asked all the time is by new comics or people wanting to get into comedy is how much do I charge? Yeah. And I'm like, There's never a right answer to a wrong question. That's the wrong question. Uh what you what you need is not how much do I get paid? You need material, and you need to be effective, and you need to be good, and develop that. You need opportunities, and you need a network. And if I had to do it over and go back to that, I actually one of the pieces I actually did right was I captured that, and I realized when somebody goes, "Hey, we want you to do da 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 da," I was so hungry. I'm like, I would love to do that. Well, what's what's your what's your fee? And I I kept thinking, well, I should have, you know, a set fee or whatever. And, and of total mistake. I'm just like, you know what? I'm coming no matter what. So, I mean, I can tell you kind of where people are paying me right now, but I'm, you say, Hey, all we got is a stick of gum and gas and I'm going to be there. Right. Period. And I did. I think the first year I did it full time by itself, I did 248 dates. I'll never forget that. And some of them paid next to nothing. Some of them have paid pretty dang decent.
1: Uh-huh.
0: But it, until you have a full calendar, it doesn't it matter what they're paying.
1: Right. Just get the experience.
0: Get experience and exposure in the network. Because I would tell them at the end, hey, how did it go? This is the best thing we've ever done. Will you do me a favor? When, when you have friends that are saying, hey, what have you done? Will you say, give Ken a call? And they did. Yeah. And uh, the other piece is I, I put something in front of people Uh, Once or twice a year. And I now do it since online is pretty easy. I do an email once a month. It's not an advertisement. It's not a marketing piece. And for those who are wanting to move to a different level, I would say definitely do that. But I would also say have something in print that you mail them every year and and make it beneficial to them. But also have something free on your table afterwards. Mm -hmm. There's a magic 30 minutes that so many comics just ignore. And it's right after a show. And I, I'm i not at the point where I'm beating off fans and I can't stand all of them. I'm standing in the back and I'll listen to the corny jokes or I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll just shake my head and go, yeah, just wanted to meet you. And, and people come back and they say, that was so good. And thanks so much. I said, yeah, where are you from? What do you do? And I just love talking to them. Because in that 30 minutes following the show, Rick, I don't know what your experience is. Mine is about 90% of the time, maybe 95% one to three people will come up afterwards. Hey, do you ever do mm-hmm. fill in the blank? And I go, tell me about it. Yeah. And I, and I always make fun. I've got a, a newsletter that's got all my contact information. But it's got some funny stuff in there too. And I'm like, these are normally a hundred dollars tonight. They're free. Right. Take one of them. <laughs> yeah. And they laugh. Oh, hey, where's a hundred dollar newsletter. And I'm like, they're right there and they'll take them and they'll use them and they'll call. And they're sitting on a committee. It's somewhere in a committee that where you have, you know, my husband's work. They do this annual event and you would be perfect for it. Please give me a call. And I've even learned from you. We were at CCA one time and you said, hey, just listen. They're going to say the name of the company in their name. Go online. Go to their website. Look at their name. Go ahead and send them an email. And I'm like, why did I not think of that? (laughs) How, how easy is that? I don't need your card. I just need your name. And I do that after. I'll literally sit down on my phone. I'll type in their name and their company uh-huh. and I'll send them an email. Hey, I ran across this. Thanks for saying, hey, just want to here's Here's my my contact information. I hope, you, I hope to see you in another show. I don't even push anything. Right. But I learned that from you. It's like, wow, absolutely. No, it's, 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 it's all about relationships. Yep. I don't care what business you're in. It's about relationships. And. And and just literally taking the time to capture that, and I'm telling you, if somebody asks you, "Hey, do you do this?" That means they're picturing you doing that, right? And man, get contact, yeah. keep in contact with them. And we have used LinkedIn for that a few times. We're all going LinkedIn. Oh, they're there. Hey, great to meet you there. I do these wow moments. Why don't you check it out? Or if it's a show, saying, "Yeah, tell them to." All they got to do is call me, and I'll I'd be glad to tell them. We don't sell anything. We just make it available and mm-hmm. tell, them, tell them to give me a buzz. So, yeah. I would say that's it. And uh, the other part would be, I guess the uh, non-intuitive part would be when you're helping others, you're helping yourself. Uh, you brought up the Falcons. And this is one of my favorite stories. So, the Falcons get beat. Biggest comeback in, in Super Bowl history. And I didn't hear this tell the next year, they're uh, interviewing Dan Quinn during the season. They said, hey, I understand you got a phone call after you lost the Super Bowl. And uh, he said, yeah, I sure did. And it was from Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr is the head coach of the Golden State Warriors yep. who gave up the biggest lead in NBA history. They were up three games to one and lost to Cleveland. Yeah. And they came back the next year and they beat Cleveland. So they give up the biggest series lead in NBA history and Steve Kerr did not know Dan Quinn. He just said, Hey, just touching base. Um, I'm sure the stings I've been in your shoes. I'm one of the few people who's been in your shoes. If you want to talk, uh, I don't know how I can help, but I can sure tell you some of the lessons I learned. Wow. And he said, did you call him? And he goes, I did. We, we talked for a couple hours. And he goes, what do he say? It's between him and I. That's and cool. just that he would take the time to reach out and do that is huge. So I've just made it a habit and I know that you've done this as well, where if somebody calls or emails us, Hey, I'm a comic, um, I'm I'm here, this is what I'm doing. If there's anything you can do to help, let me know. Um, I I do. I kind of have a couple little pieces I hand them and say, Hey, you do that, we'll talk and then we'll go from there. And I found most people they don't really want somebody to help them. They want somebody to do it all for them. Yeah. And those people I really can't help. But for the two or 3% that really are kind of getting after it, that'll take some input and then put it into practice and then come back. I love helping them and and I love seeing them succeed. And I do hand off to those who do that. And there's just something about that, paying it forward or passing it on or whatever you want to call it. It, it just, I, there's something in our heart of hearts that goes, this is a good piece. Cause we're all, we're getting older yeah. and it's not going to hurt me to hand that off to somebody. Can't 20 do all years the gigs away. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. People are like, oh, I wish somebody would give me some gigs. I'm like, you know what? How many gigs are you giving other people? Yeah.
1: You don't stay married 25 years without doing all the gigs.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Every
1: once in a while, you got to take out the trash, buddy. That's the truth. But yeah, but helping other people. Well, you've thrown me a couple of gigs. Yeah, because you're wearing, good. I'm actually wearing a shirt that they gave me at one of the gigs. That's, a great, that's a great pullover. It's a great travel thing because yeah. on the airlines, it's just chilly enough. Middle and it's not weight. not too thick. No weight at all.
0: Absolutely. But I love being able to come across people that I connect with. I'm like, Rickler. he really would be incredible for this. I'll wrap up with this thought is um, –
1: You know, if you're not analyzing what you're doing and where you're going, it's really hard for somebody to help you get there. And so, (laughs) I mean, that that sounds maybe very simple. No, it's because most people don't do it. They don't. And you you just touched on something uh, without saying the name. I did a gig last year with the Younger Comics, got a full-time job, full-time family. But he he feels like his comedy is at a level where he could do something to help people with it. And he's he's had foster children and adopted Mm. and all these things, too. So he just kind of laid that out there. He's like, you know, if you have any ideas or whatever. So he gave me a a vision. He wasn't asking for gigs. He was telling me what he was trying to aspire to do. And so somebody texted me last week saying, hey, I need somebody to help out with these Compassion International shows. And I'm like, I know a guy who's got the exact vision. Mm. He's living what you guys are preaching. And he's funny. And he's a great guy. and He's a good comedian. Phenomenal, you know. So it was a good match. But I wouldn't have thought of him naturally if he had not laid out that vision. So... If you're listening, you're not doing anything else for the next 20 minutes, look back at where your comedy is, where you want to take it, and be able to articulate that to somebody, not in an elevator speech kind of way, but as a connecting kind of way. You know, This is where I want to take my comedy or my speaking, if you're a speaker or a musician, and let people know about it so they can. you're on the radar for that. You're not bombarding yeah. them with, hey, book me for this, but had I not known that about him, I wouldn't know that he was a perfect fit. Right. So, like, I was, I had never recommended somebody faster and more, you know, hundred percent behind this guy than that. So, if you're out there listening, get your vision. If you're not at that point yet, you're just trying to be funny. That's fine. But if you've got skills and talents that can lead other people to things, lay that out so people know in in your community, your network, so they can help you get there.
0: Yeah. And what do what do you love to do? My my passion is encouraging, and I, I shared this at CCA, and this is kind of my final thought is that. It took me, they're always saying, find your voice, find your comedic voice. And I, I think I did about five years ago. And it's that I don't do comedy. I use comedy. I use comedy and I have to have a purpose. I have to have a reason to get on stage. And I have to have a, if If I've got a reason to be there, whether it's a fundraiser, whether it's a corporate event, I'm I'm helping people. And I know the people I'm helping and why I'm helping them, um, man, I, it just takes it to a whole different level and you're meeting a need that somebody who's a comedian who's going to do a canned set can never do.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just so much more enjoyable. I love working that way. Yeah. So getting that and I'm thinking of 10 different things, but I had one comic female from, she'd gone out to LA to learn the chops and, she's in Atlanta and I, somebody met her and said, Hey, Ken's in Atlanta. Call him. And, and I I gave her the, the three kind of the screening questions of do this. And she did. And I said, so tell me what's your passion. She goes, well, I, I do comedy. And I looked at her clips. She's actually really funny. She goes, but I really have a passion. I want to use it to communicate. And I'm like, to who? And she told me who and that. And I'm like, just like you, I had this there's a conference I've been teaching at these conferences all over the country in the summers for students and that's her heart. And she would be phenomenal. And I can put her in touch with the guy who's running these 13 different conferences all over the country Mm -hmm. and she's going to be a great fit, but she was able to communicate. This is my passion. Here's my tools verified it. I mean that day I'm like do this. And she goes, why people know I'm funny, but I need clips that show I can do both. And I'm like, brilliant. I got these guys that I do a radio show for in Atlanta twice a month. They do a Facebook live piece. They record, they can edit it for you and go do that show. She goes, I don't know. them. Well, I do. She's on that show next week, you know, and they're going to, now she's going to have these pieces. I love doing that. And I do believe that those who watered will be watered. I mean, it's that, that piece is kind of counterintuitive if you got that mindset of, oh my goodness, well, I, I don't have enough gigs, so I, I need to get all I can get and can them and I don't want to pass any on. And so many guys are like that. And I'm like, yeah, I, I have a, I've found that I've got more inquiries when I am more liberally giving yeah. than if I don't.
1: Yeah especially if they hear the message the correct way, I'll wrap up with this super quick thought. Okay. is uh, So you're talking about the mindset of abundance. Yeah. Basically. And I was communicating this to my son recently. You know, you do these things because you, you're not afraid to give stuff away, you know, this kind right. of stuff. And he came back with, so why don't we go to Longhorn instead of Golden Corral, if you've got all this abundance. <laughs> i like, all right, you got me there. You got me yeah, there. I don't have a comeback for that one. But Golden Corral has an abundance. It's, it's got a chocolate fountain. that never ends. That's I mean, right. that's Long- abundant.
0: Lord, so. Longhorn
1: doesn't have a chocolate fountain, so. Longhorn has the better
0: broccoli, so we're headed there. That's so great. Ken, it's been great. Oh, my gosh. It's so great hanging out with you. Is it already, it's already time. That's crazy. I know. Well, well, we're going to continue
1: a conversation in a minute just for patreon supporters who are supporting the podcast your patreon the club 52 members we're going to do a little mini podcast for you guys that'll be out this weekend but ken thanks again thanks for letting me come to your house and see the wonderful paintings on the wall (laughs) have you heard the hacking of my 14 year old pug in the back i
0: apologize (laughs) i heard him once
1: (laughs) it sounded like it wasn't a productive cough so that was a good thing you didn't have to get up and clean anything (laughs) thanks exactly there you go, Ken Kinkton. I hope you picked up some tips. Uh, obviously, a very smart guy, very strategic guy, and a funny guy on top of that. Enjoyed hanging out at his home, uh, seeing the family, and listening to the dog almost vomit uh, three or four different times. <laughs> That's great, man. That was too funny. If you want to check out Ken Kinkton, uh, I've got his links on the show notes as well, and as well as to a video you can see of his. And he mentioned the uh, Ken Wow moments the uh, Ken works project he has going on. He's got links to that with some information that can help you out uh just business wise. So check all that out. Schooloflast.com episode number 162. I'd like to again thank our sponsors, the Clean Comedy Challenge. Go to cleancomedychallenge.com and check out their multiple locations, dates, and entry times and all that kind of stuff. And also thanks to Patreon supporter, Jeff Guskey, for making this episode possible. Thanks, Jeff. Hope you're getting the most out of Club 52. And I thank all 32 of you guys that support the podcast through Patreon. It does help a whole lot, and I appreciate that. All right, I'll talk to you next time. Until then, stay safe and stay funny.
0: Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.